Brothers and sisters, Jesus was constantly amazing people everywhere he went. By his miracles, by driving out demons, by his incredible teaching, people were astounded and amazed. And have you ever wondered, was Jesus ever amazed by anything that he saw? What would it take to amaze Jesus Christ? I mean, demons have fallen at his feet. He calmed the storm with his own word. He's healed people of all kinds of terrible diseases. He just raised a girl from the dead. What's it going to take to amaze a man like this? Well, in the Bible, there are two instances where it's recorded that Jesus was amazed. But before I tell you about them, let me tell you what he was not amazed by. He was not amazed by his own power. He wasn't amazed by Roman might. He was not amazed with King Herod or the beautiful temple or the experts in the law or the religious leaders. He was not amazed with any human skill, power, or technology. There are two instances where Jesus was amazed in the Bible. And in both cases, it was faith that amazed Jesus. One instance was positive and one instance was negative. Now, the one instance that's positive is not recorded in Mark, but it's the story Many of you probably know it of the Roman centurion who came to Jesus because his servant was ill and he basically said, I know what it's like to be in a position of authority. Just say the word. You don't even have to come with me. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And it says Jesus was amazed at this man's faith. Now, the second instance where it's recorded that Jesus is amazed is here in Mark chapter 6. And uh, I invite you to turn there with me in your Bibles, your phone, if you'd like to follow along. But Jesus, he goes to minister in Nazareth in his hometown to people he's known since he was a child. And now they've seen him do miracles. They'd heard his powerful teaching, but they do not believe in him. And in Mark chapter 6, verse 6, it says Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. Now, the word faith has many nuances that we can't get into right now, but in this context, Faith is about understanding who Jesus really is and responding appropriately to that understanding. So the centurion grasped Jesus' true identity and authority. And on the other hand, Jesus' hometown, they could not come, come to grips with the fact that he was more than just one of them. So in one instance, Jesus is amazed at great faith. In the other, he's amazed at the lack of faith. So let me ask you, how do you suppose Jesus is reacting to your faith? Now, you've heard some helpful nuance about faith the last couple of weeks. If you were been joining us, and thank you to Kevin Johnson, who did a terrific job uh, preaching the word to us last week. And we heard that when, when God doesn't heal us, when God does not intervene in our trials, that doesn't mean that we have a lack of faith. I talked to you about how when we take precautions against things, that doesn't mean that we have a lack of faith. But let's not let the caveats about this keep us from seeing that Jesus calls us to have a deep faith in Him. He loves it when people have faith in Him. And He is disappointed when there is a lack of faith. He wants to call us into a deep faith and trust in who He really is and to respond appropriately to that. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So faith in Jesus 
As, I don't know if this needs to be said, but faith in Jesus is essential to our walk with Him, right? That's, that's pretty basic. We need to have faith in Him. And I, don't, I don't know about you, but I want Jesus to be amazed at my strong faith, not amazed at my lack of faith. And as I think about much of the church context, especially in America and the West, I have to say that I'm with Darth Vader. I find our faith, uh, our lack of faith disturbing. Now, a quarter of you got that, but you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Thank you. But I believe there are four things that reveal our lack of faith. Four things that if they are not renounced, if they are not identified, if they are not repented of, these could destroy our faith. And so in this text, I want to look at four deadly dangers to our faith in Jesus. And I hope you won't dismiss the strong language of this. Because I want all of us to have a strong faith. And if we don't look at these things, we won't be able to to, to get there. We have to confront these dangers. So the first danger I want to talk about is the danger of familiarity. Familiarity. In the case of Jesus in his hometown, familiarity bred contempt. They said in verse 3, Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense, or it says they were scandalized by him. Now, the people in his hometown, they knew Jesus as the local handyman. Uh, really, this is what the Greek word for carpenter means. Uh, it means someone who can work with wood and stone. You know, I think about a, a guy like John Herpelsheimer, or like my father-in-law who's a general contractor who's here today. You know, people who work with their hands. Jesus was a guy that could fix stuff. And he was probably in every single one of their homes fixing something at some point in his life. So they knew Jesus well, and they knew his family. They call him Mary's son, perhaps because Jesus has, or perhaps because Joseph has been dead for some time. And then Jesus says to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. Familiarity with Jesus bred contempt. Now, remember a few chapters ago, Jesus, his family, had come to him to try to seize him and bring him back home because they thought that he was out of his mind. And it's probably likely that his hometown shared the sentiment. They heard what he was doing, and word spreads fast in a small village. They knew what Jesus' family thought about it as well. They're thinking, Jesus, he's going off the deep end. He's kind of losing it. And so he has contempt of the village, and they reject him. And this foreshadows Jesus being rejected by his own people on the cross. So familiarity was a barrier to their faith. They were so familiar with who they knew Jesus to be, they couldn't see him for who he truly is. I don't know if that sounds applicable at all. (laughs) How this is a danger for us. We didn't grow up with Jesus physically, but many of us, did we not grow up, grow up with him spiritually? Either growing up in the church or growing up in uh, the culture of Christianity that still is around us in many ways. So the, the danger is we become so familiar with the Jesus we've known that we don't put our faith in who he truly is now. So we might not ask, isn't this the carpenter? But we might ask, isn't this, isn't this the man I heard about? stories about as a child? Isn't this the guy we celebrate at Christmas? Isn't Jesus a a religion my grandparents believed in? See, we're in danger of treating Jesus merely as a story, 
as a moral lesson. We're in danger of treating him as an artifact of our cultural or family heritage. We're in danger of putting him in our boxes of understanding. We're in danger of assuming that we have nothing more to learn of him. Oh, how I've heard this before. Give me something new or different. Can I just say this? I think we're in danger of getting bored with Jesus. That's a danger we face. We're in danger of losing our wonder of him, our fascination with him, our awe, our reverence towards Jesus Christ. Now, I am convinced it's always best to grow up with Jesus rather than not, but it does put us at the risk of familiarity. Jesus said this to the church in Ephesus in Revelation. Revelation 2, he says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. You have persevered, and you have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Oh, I think the same could be said of many of us here. But verse 4, he says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. The church in Ephesus, they grew familiar. They grew familiar. And we presume that we can get by on our past knowledge our past experience, our past spiritual moments, our past practices and habits. But Jesus, friend, he is calling you to first love. He's calling you to first love in him in this season, in this moment, because this is all that we have. So he says, consider how much you used to love me. Consider the things you did at first and repent. And so I just want to ask, are you getting by on your familiarity with him? Or are you actively pursuing him? Let's be actively pursuing him. Jesus is not a doctrine to be studied. He is not a set of beliefs to agree to. He is a person to love with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He wants that kind of relationship with us. So our first danger, friends, is familiarity. Second danger we can encounter is worldly goods. Worldly goods. Now, after the disappointing lack of faith in the people of Nazareth, Jesus sends out the twelve. In verse 8, it says, these were, her, these were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. Now, these are Jesus' instructions for an urgent mission. Uh, I think it's pretty clear these are not meant to be his expectations for every season or every missionary journey. Is anybody wearing sandals right now? Does anybody not have an extra shirt in their closet? Okay, we know that these are, these are not applicable to every situation. But there are principles in this, in this sending that we can still think about and apply today. Jesus, he sends the 12 on a mission with meager supplies. They would have to trust. They would have to have the faith that God was going to meet all their needs. And they would have to depend on the hospitality of others. That's what he says in verse 10. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. Now, why this instruction? Why couldn't they go to another house in that village? What would be so wrong with that? Now, most commentators talk about how this is to ensure that they don't seek out a nicer place to live. 
Jesus wants them to be content with whatever provisions God provides for them and to not seek out a nicer place. Scholar Grant Osborne says, The goal of mission is not to find the nicest living arrangements, but rather to bring people into the kingdom. They must be content with whatever living conditions they experience. To leave one home for another would insult their hosts and bring disrepute on the gospel. So Jesus says, stay where you are. Meager supplies, a roof over over your head, these are all you need to fulfill the mission I've given you. And is that not still true today? And Jesus knew that the worldly goods and worldly wealth, they often serve to undermine to the point where they can destroy our faith and keep us off mission. So just two chapters ago in Mark 4, Jesus taught this in the parable of the sower. He said, like seeds sown among the thorns, these people, they hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things, they come in and they choke the word, making it unfruitful. Jesus says, wealth is deceitful, it tricks us, it lies to us, it's a thorn all around us that keeps believers from coming fully alive in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus wanted his disciples and he wants us to be fruitful for his kingdom, does he not? And so Jesus is aware, he's acutely aware of the danger of how we can take our eyes off him and his mission and put them on all the things this world has to offer. And this is what we do. Instead of saying that Jesus is going to make me happy and give me joy, we start acting like having this thing, making my house look like this, driving this, upgrading this. This will make me happy. This will give me purpose. And I think Jesus is astonished at our lack of faith in this area. Jesus said, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Do we have faith that Jesus can give us complete joy and not be lacking? We know he promises his joy and peace, but do we believe it? Do we live like it? Are Are we looking to find joy in Jesus or in the things of this world? Our commitment to worldly goods and wealth can be a significant sign our faith is lacking. And it's so hard, brothers and sisters, because this is so normalized around us. The Bible talks about the world, the ungodly influence of the culture around us. The world reinforces and normalizes our sinful desires. Now consider the fact that we live in probably the or one of the wealthiest countries in the world, and we live in one of the wealthiest parts of that country. Congratulations, you're in the top 1-2% to globally. Congratulations. And I want to ask, what gets normalized in this context that shouldn't be? What gets normalized around us that should not be normalized for a believer in Jesus who is good news to the poor? And friends, I feel the effects of this context. We moved essentially from a 900-square-foot mobile home in a trailer park in Goshen, Indiana to a five-bedroom home, thank you, provided by the church, in South Wheaton. We feel the difference in the context because everyone around us has nice things, has nice homes, drives nice things, upgrades their stuff in their house regularly. They are aware of their stocks and their investments and all of these things. 
And so it's so much easier, I'm saying this by experience, it's so much easier to be content with less when you're around people with less. And it's so much harder to be content with less when you're around people with more. That's just true. So how can we have godliness with contentment when we live in this place with thorns all around us? And if we're not careful, this can destroy our faith. And I'm honestly, I'm not trying to be overly dramatic. This is what Jesus says. And this is what the Bible teaches. Paul said this in 1 Timothy 6. He says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people, eager for money, they have wandered away from the faith and they have pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this. Flee from all this, the Bible says. Don't desire to be rich. Desire Jesus. Don't desire the things of this world, worldly wealth and goods. Desire Jesus Christ. And have the faith that He is true happiness and joy. He really is. You know, I think one of the best things you can do is the, the annual Marie Kondo. Just simplify, just say, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to pass this on. I'm going to simplify. I try to do this about once a year because I don't want to be attached to my stuff. I just want to go through it all and get rid of what I don't need and bless somebody else. You know, I saw a college pro- uh, professor of mine, to give you another example. Uh, he recently tweeted that Uh, He was not going to have any Amazon deliveries in 2022. Wow! Isn't that countercultural? Amazon is not stopping at his house in 2022 because he wants to fight consumption in his life. We need to flee from consumption. Embrace simplicity and contentment for Jesus' sake because this is a danger to our faith. So we have familiarity, we have worldly goods. Another deadly danger we face is busyness busyness. So the disciples, they go out on this exciting mission. They go from house to house with their meager, meager supplies. They're very excited. Then we jump down to verse 30. It says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and they reported to him all they had done and taught. And then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. See, Jesus has a mission for us, but He knows. He knows we we are but dust. He knows we are human. He knows we need rest in His presence. Now, busyness, I believe, is another one of those thorns that grow around us in this context, that desire for other things. The church in Ephesus, they were busy with deeds, but they had forsaken the love they had at first. The church in Laodicea, many of you know, they had deeds, but their love for God was lukewarm. Busyness can keep our love for God lukewarm. It can crowd out the space that we need for a life with Jesus. So Jesus says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. Now notice that the rest is going to come from being with Jesus. Did you notice that? Come with me by yourselves. Now there's a lot of good stuff these days about having proper self-care. And I think that's good. We have to take care of ourselves. But just remember that our true rest does not come from simply doing what we want on an off day. Our true rest is going to come from being in Jesus' presence. 
The psalmist says, find rest my soul in God alone. You know, it's doing life without Jesus that ultimately will destroy our faith because we won't have the resources, we won't have the love, we won't have the, the resources we need to keep going. You know, I, I remember I was reflecting back to the spring and summer of 2020 and I was remembering how many, many of you and probably some of you watching online, you were telling me, oh, you know, it's, it's hard right now, but I have so much more time for my family. I have so much more time with my kids around the dinner table. I'm reading more scripture than I have before. I'm praying more than I was. And I just, you know, it's hard, but I'm finding rest in this time. And I remember many people telling me, I, I hope that when, when things start opening up again, I want to I wanna keep carving this space out for me and Jesus and my family. And I just want to ask, how's that going? <laughs> how's that going right now? Friends, activity is not valuable for activity's sake. We have to be discerning about the things we allow to take up space in our lives. We need, I believe that we all need unscheduled, unhurried, unhurried times in all of our schedules. And I honestly hope all of you will consider a 24-hour Sabbath. It's something that uh, my family and I have been practicing for quite some time. Not because I am strong, but because I am weak. You know, it's almost as if God designed us to have a 24-hour period where we don't work but we rest. Isn't that weird? It's almost like God designed it. It's almost like God wove it into the fabric of creation that we need rest. Hmm. Fascinating. You know, there's much more I would like to say to you about Sabbath, but we're too busy this morning for me to go on any longer. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't be in such a rush sometimes. But I will finish my point and go on to the next one. The last, the last danger that we need to talk about is indifferent, indifference to need. Indifference to need. Jesus recognized the disciples' need for rest. But as soon as they go away, there's a crowd that sees where they're going, and because the Sea of Galilee is not that big, they're able to run around and meet them at the other side. And it's interesting to me how Mark shifts from describing the group of disciples to just Jesus. Now, if you're following along, look in verse 32. So they went away, that's the disciples, by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving, leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. It's Jesus who has compassion on these sheep, not the disciples. Now, I may be reading into this a little bit, but come on, we know what it's like to be human. You know, uh, the disciples, they are tired, they are exhausted. Jesus has just promised them a time of rest and respite, and as soon as they get to the place where they're going to rest, there are people asking for help. And Mark says, it's Jesus who had compassion on the crowd. Jesus is, hard, Jesus is singled out by Mark because Jesus' compassion is unique. It's unique. Jesus' heart is full of compassion for them, and so he teaches them. And as it's getting late, the disciples, they tell Jesus to send them away. And then Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Wait, Jesus knows that they're tired. 
He knows that they need rest, and yet he presses them into more service. Ooh. And Nate, you just told me I'm too busy and I need to rest with God, but now you're telling me that I need to care about the needs of others and requests come, I need to help? Yes. <laughs> Friends, this is not a problem to solve, but a tension to manage. And I do think the disciples, they eventually are going to get the rest that they need. But Jesus, he wants us to have a compassionate heart, a compassionate response to the need around us. Because often the, the request for help is going to come at a time when you probably don't feel like giving it. And we often think if we meet others' needs, we're not going to have enough for ourselves. We're not going to have enough time. We're not going to have enough energy. We're not going to have enough money. We're not going to have re- enough resources. But when the opportunity comes for help, we want to have the compassionate heart of Jesus. Levi just turned one this week. So I, I have recent memory of how much rest a young mother needs in those early months. Many of you remember that. And when the baby cries out, even though the mom needs rest, isn't it not the right response to respond to that need? Even though we're tired and need rest? In the same way, when people around us cry out for help, we should respond with a compassionate heart. So I want you to ask you, how does your heart respond when needs are presented to you? I think our indifference to human need can be a sign of our lack of faith in Jesus. First John says this, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother and sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Our compassionate response to the need of those around us confirms our faith in Jesus and is a sign that we belong to the truth. Conversely, our indifference reveals our lack, our lack of faith, our lack of trust. And perhaps Jesus is amazed at how little faith we have in Him to help us when we help others. So friends, these are the four deadly dangers to our faith. We are very familiar with Jesus. We have an abundance of worldly goods. We live in a very busy culture And we can live lives entirely isolated from the poor and needy. As a pastor, this deeply concerns me for my flock. As a Christian, it deeply concerns me for my own walk. So what do we do? To be honest, I don't know. But I think we all should go from here taking seriously these things. Talking about this with our small groups, with our friends, with our families. How do we live as followers of Jesus Christ in this culture? It's very difficult. But I also want us to consider the fact that it is a bold move to name your church faith. (laughs) It's a bold move, is it not? And what would it look like for us to exemplify our name? Could we be a church where Jesus is amazed at the strong faith of faith covenant? What if we shocked people with how our love for Jesus is not lukewarm? What if we shocked people with our attitude towards stuff and money? What if people were shocked by how long you drove your car? (laughs) What if people were shocked by how long you owned your clothing? What if people were surprised that we weren't as busy as them? What if people were, were surprised that we took a day off every week to rest in God? 
What if we shocked people with that? What if we shocked people by our generosity for those in need? Friends, I believe we can do this. I believe this is in us because even though Jesus is totally familiar with us, he knows every hair on your head. He has known you from the moment you were in your mother's womb. He knows everything about you, and yet he loves you with an everlasting love. Jesus, he left all the heavenly riches. He rejected all worldly goods so that he might make you rich in an abundant life with him. Jesus is never too busy for us, and he's never indifferent to our need. He always cares as a good shepherd. So he calls us now to have faith in this good news. And so I pray that God would give us the faith to amaze Jesus himself with our faith in him. Would you join me in that prayer?